If we had known more, we would have done better if we knew about support services and were reaching out to one another. It didn't have to be that difficult. Hi, I'm Bobby. Having been a caregiver for my father-in-law and experienced firsthand what it's like to be a caregiver for someone with dementia, I knew I wanted to support other caregivers. I am now a certified caregiving consultant and educator a caregiver support group leader, and an international speaker on caregiving issues. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two. And we all know, as they say, laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Oh, I won't forget your wine. Corporations have fairly recently addressed some work-life issues for the workforce, such as expanding maternity leave, daycare for children, and lactation rooms. However, not many corporations are addressing the issues surrounding family caregivers on a large scale. Well, I think some of that has to do with COVID right now, but we fully expect that I would change. Uh, But The person that can talk to us most about that is today's guest, a fellow certified caregiving consultant and educator and senior professional in human resources. She was the primary caregiver for her father who had dementia while also working full-time taking care of her own family. She is a recognized speaker on working while caregiving and has written on the topic for many outlets. Her focus these days is to help companies create supportive culture for family caregivers. We are very pleased to welcome Sarah Beth Persiani. Welcome, Sarah Beth. Oh, hi. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, we are happy to have you. (laughs) Tell us about your personal caregiving experience and what brought you into becoming as supportive as you are for caregivers. So I had a very intense five-year period of being a family caregiver. And um, unbeknownst to me, and I know this is a common thing with a lot of us, who knew I was even a caregiver? I was just a good daughter doing what I thought I had to do and wanted to do. So between the years of 2007 and 2012, I was part of the sandwich generation. So that's that um, term that we use describing caring for our own families, as well as elderly parents and working full time. And so I would care initially for my mom who had breast cancer and then lung cancer stopping over at the house, helping to pick up groceries and medications. Um, my mom was very sick um, and, and passed. And my sister soon afterwards, my oldest sister and, and childhood best friend was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So she got sick very quickly and was, was just such a trooper. So for about nine months, she deteriorated and went into hospice. We, we brought her to a facility. So it was sitting bedside and fetching soup and visiting with her. And then soon after, after she passed, it was my dad now all alone who had been such a help for my mom and my sister, just stopping in with him, checking in on him, um, congestive heart failure. And then he, he, he showed all the signs of dementia, was never formally diagnosed 
but started to really have all of those things that happen when, when you start noticing, well, geez, dad's not right. And I know I'm talking a lot, but I want to just throw in one more thing, because in that five-year period of working and having a, a grade school child, we also had a lot of loss. We lost my husband's best friend and confidant. We lost my nephew, uh, 19 years old, his first trip away from home went on a skiing trip and died. We lost my father-in-law. So it was this intense period of five years where you're just coming and going. I use the, the wave and ocean analogy of, you know, the tide goes out and comes in, we'd get back up and then we'd get knocked down again. And, you, and I just didn't know that this was what it was like to be a family caregiver. I just went through it. So, so that's what kind of informed my path today. I'm sorry, I know that was a really long-winded answer to your question. No, that's fine. We're here to talk to you and, and hear what your story is and, and you're doing just great. Thank you. <laughs> what did you do in your spare time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and so work really, you know, and that's why I, I like to focus now on the workplace conversation because a lot is, is discussed about the caregiver stress and that day-to-day -day work that you have just being there for the person that you're helping. But it's the facade that I had on going to work every day is where I don't think we talk enough about it. And now, I mean, again, it's an overused term, the silver lining to the pandemic. But I think it's showing us the stresses and the strains that people are under at home. And so that's a good thing now. But for me in that situation, I put on a mask of stoicism and compartmentalized and went into work and didn't really show what my true home life was you like. You know, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's an issue that women in the workforce struggle with, I think, more than men in the workforce. And even to those who are, you know, moms that have small children and um, get called away to take a sick kid to the doctor or something like that. And part of the reason for putting on that facade is to show that you're still competent at work. Um, yes. And while taking care of your family and you, you become almost afraid to let people going, be going on what's going on at home in case it impacts your career path or your ability, they believe it impacts your ability to do the job. That's it, exactly. It's, it, that's exactly it. And in some ways I loved and, and so looked forward to getting to work because I could be my old self, my capable, you know, confident self. But it, but it was to the extreme where I started alienating myself because I had a lump in my throat. If you know, I had a few close friends that knew kind of my real life, but I didn't want anyone to ask me how I was because I would, I was on the hairy edge. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to fall to pieces. So it was easier to just be really buttoned up and really heads down. But in the end, that came around and bit me because. I wasn't a very friendly colleague. And so, you know, I, I did alienate myself and I lost a lot of opportunities. And ultimately I, I resigned because I was so unhappy. Um, ironically, it was after my dad passed. So I, I could have had some semblance of a, of a better uh, routine, but I was so burnt out and angry. 
um, angry at my siblings for, for letting me take on so much, angry at my husband, angry at the workplace. So I resigned. Um, and that, again, is part of why I, I'm trying to do the work I do now, because that shouldn't have happened. You know, it didn't have to happen if, if there were some better conversations and practices in place for these poor working women who are trying to do it all. Well, you know, dealing with the anger that comes along with with uh, being a caregiver, you know, it's so on point. Um, even after, you know, I left my corporate job to take care of Mike's dad, there was some resentment over the fact that we were on our own doing this. Family members didn't step up to help. In fact, actively ran away. Um, oh. And his ability to go to the to work every day and um, interact with with people on a regular basis. There was some of that going on. So I, I completely understand your anger and uh, appreciate that if we had known more, we would have done better. If we knew about support services and we're reaching out to one another, it didn't have to be that difficult. Right. And you know what's funny too, because in the moment now, you know, afterwards I realized it was anger. In the moment, you know what I did all the time? I cried. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd go to my dad and I'd put, you know, I'd be there for him and, and, um, and leave and cry in the car. That car was just like a, a, a driving mobile of tears, right? I would just break down. And then I'd button myself back up again to be be there and and uh, pleasant for my daughter because she was just grade school and I wanted to have the fun times. And any alone time that I had, it wasn't anger, it was tears. Well, I think tears are often a way that uh, we release anger. I know I did a lot of praying and I did a lot of crying during the time that I was a caregiver. And afterwards, too, as some of those emotions needed to come out, as Mike can attest. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> during that time, we argued more than we ever had. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. That's exactly where we were at. And, I, and my husband, and I don't want to paint him as the goat because... He was just as ill-equipped to handle everything as I was. He was doing, you know, to his credit, everything he knew to do. He was helping with my daughter as much as, much as possible. He was keeping his job intact, thank goodness. Um, so there's no blame as much as just that learning curve that when you're in it is really hard to, to experience. And, you know, a little bit of planning, a little bit of the messages that we now have as certified caregiving consultants would have made all the difference but at the time, you were, you were just winging it. I was winging it. Creative you know? problem solving on the run is what I called it. And yes. you're absolutely right. And what we are both doing now and trying to educate people before they get into the, what you call it, the hairy edge, um, can really make a difference. Yes, it's so true. And you know what's interesting is so this morning, right, talk about the timeliness. On the, I watched the CBS morning show. That's kind of my routine they had a woman, an editor from LinkedIn, who shared that right now, the, the US workplace has lost over 5 million women due to the pandemic. And so they had all the stats, you know, they showed the industries that are most effective, government and healthcare, retail and education, industries that typically have a higher percentage of women, and, and just showed that this is a huge corporate issue right now. Um, you know, that we are now in a, in a well, how did they put it? Um, 
the participation in the workforce is at, is at the lowest point that it's been since 1988. So like decades of progress is right now being undone because of this pandemic and, and the impact that it has to women. So as much as we like to think we've got a little more equal ground at home, it still shows up for women. Absolutely. And in the numbers that you were being quoted, I don't think they included the, the women that were lost to the workforce because of dementia care. Right. That's so true. Exactly. So these figures are just um, probably lower than what, what it was actually should be reported. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's just tragic and, you know, I think if there were more and better effective conversations happening in the workplace, it, it would help because even the notion of help helps. So I always say the most simple thing to do is to ask from a management perspective to your people, how are you? And for some reason, that's a scary thing because I, I, you know maybe you don't want to open up that can of worms or you don't feel equipped to, to be able to respond appropriately to what might come your way. But if I could tell people, it's you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to solve somebody's problems. You just have to show you care. And maybe that begins the dialogue of figuring something out. You know, Sarah Beth, that, that is so true. Um, before I retired, I had uh, three folks that were direct reports to me that were family caregivers, that mm. were taking care of parents. And just that... And, and, of course, I had gone through the caregiving with Bobby prior to that. Um, and I had a great boss who was very understanding and very compassionate. And just asking them, hey, how's it going? How's your mom doing? How's your dad doing? Um, how, are, how are you doing with it? Just letting them know that I recognized the fact that they had something else going on and that... Um, I understood, and if they needed something, they didn't have to feel embarrassed, ashamed, or scared to come talk to me about it. And it made a world of difference in the environment with the team. Yes, I think that's exactly it. It's just taking the time to ask and being genuine and listen. It, it just, it means all the world. That I, that's a conversation I never had. I, um, you know, I hate to say this, but I'm going to, because it's, it's the truth. I had a millennial manager and I made the assumption, well, how is she going to ever un understand where I'm at? She doesn't have children, you know, and, and to her credit, you know, I had about as much depth as a Dixie cup when I was that age. So I, I wouldn't have understood, <laughs> right? So I think you were fortunate to have good, a good management support and your team was fortunate to have you because that's where it begins. Well, that's that's one thing that popped into mind. Um, that was not and would not have been the case in the company that I worked for. And also, we have a tendency when people say, how's it going to minimize what's going on? Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I teach people, if somebody asks that question, never say that you're fine. Tell them, you know, this is really hard and this is what's going on. And... I may need some time and I definitely need some help. Yes. And if somebody offers to help, I'm a firm believer in giving them a job right there in the moment. <laughs> because some people, you know, they ask, 
you know, what can I do to help to be polite? And they expect us to say we've got it. But some people actually want to help and they don't know what to do. Yes, that is exactly it. You know, and we, we, we use this little analogy of uh, having a dog jar, you know, have little handy slips of ideas just so that you can think of something. But sometimes it's really hard. You're so overwhelmed because it's everything. So it's a deer in the headlights moment when someone says, how can I help? And you, and you think I want the help, but I can't think of anything right now. Well, when we're dealing with dementia care, sometimes the perception is I'm the one that's in here every day. I know this person, I know their needs. So you cannot come in and take over for me and not thinking about the things that somebody can do to take the pressure off in other areas of your life. Like, um, going to the grocery store for you or um, mowing the lawn spending some time with your with your loved ones so you can take a shower little things like that mean would mean so much but first of all we would think to ask and people wouldn't think to volunteer so that education in you know in dealing with caregivers and potential caregivers to teach them don't say you're fine and when somebody asks what can I do to help to give them a job um, and give them some ideas for that kind of thing. But you're working, you know, within the corporate. Has the pandemic have an effect on that? Yes. And, and I would say in a, in a positive way, because people right now are looking for solutions. So I am having good conversations and the opportunity to participate more and in, in um, events and, and kind of panel discussions because everybody really does want to have have some suggestions. So that, that has been a positive. Now, another thing that we I've, I've run across is as more of the corporate officers find that it's affecting their family, they're more open to suggestions on how to support working caregivers. Have you found that to be true? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, an interesting statistic too that we're seeing is people in the higher levels of their organization, the the admin, the um, the senior leadership, are most likely the ones who also take a leave. Mm-hmm. So not only are they open to it, they understand it, and they're also kind of in it as well. So that's been an interesting figure that's come out of all this as well. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, they usually have the freedom to take the leave. True. Yeah. One thing that caregivers like and appreciate and need are the practical tips, are the pragmatic ways to get through the day, how to think about your day in terms of when are the challenging times. And so the conversations that we're having right now with managers are, how can you help to support those working family caregivers? Um, One of the biggest suggestions is making the work day repeatable and predictable so that you can structure you know, the same status meeting update or the same deadline so that people are able to know that expectation and plan for it. And even small things like right now, we're, we're on the Zoom conversation. I opted to keep my camera off. That's such a big benefit for people working from home. You know, if you have to worry about kids in the background, getting your work done, and you don't want to show your background scene because it's just not as perfect as you'd like, we will, I'll tell managers, allow that as a, as a little flexibility during the day. You don't have to show yourself on Zoom, and that's so appreciated. Or you haven't had an opportunity to get out of your pajamas and comb your hair. (laughs) 
right? Yeah, the, the bed had look that most family caregivers just have naturally, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, little things like that. And and the, the advice to some of the, the working people who, who don't have the luxury to be able to take the time um, and say they're going to step back is to make sure you have whatever informal or formal supports available. And I know with COVID, it's hard right now to have people coming into the home as much. Um, hopefully we're seeing some of that light at the end of the tunnel. But you know, having, having your day structured. So if there is a must have meeting that you have to be on, somebody is there to help with the kids or, or the person you're carrying. I was looking on your website and one of the things you talk about on the website is compassion fatigue. Hmm. Would you talk a little bit about that? It's almost an oxymoron. You think, oh, that must be somebody who's heartless. The people who fall prey to cat compassion fatigue are the people who really care a lot and are putting their heart and soul into doing a good job in all facets of their life. Um, so compassion fatigue presents sometimes as burnout, um, where you are starting to care less about or, or look as if you care less about your day to day. Um, and I have a really nice slide. Of course, I'm blanking right now on some of the key, the key points of it because I, I try to show here are some of the warning signs. One of them actually is, is when you start to look a little disheveled, you're spending a little less time on, on yourself. It's just showing that you're starting to, to slide and, and get a little burned out. Well, one of the things that we do is we're gonna uh, put a link to your website on our website when we announce the show. So there'll be a quick click back to your website so people will be able to see that slide or slides. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's great. So Thanks. yeah, we are gonna do that. But I just, I just thought it was an interesting concept and I just wanted to talk about it a little bit. I just think something if managers are, are aware of it as well and can recognize the signs coming in late, you know, there's absenteeism, there's presenteeism when you're there physically, but you're distracted because you're, you've got so much on your mind. So it's kind of just being aware of some of the warning signs. So are there systems for support at the workplace, like on-site caregiver support groups, lunch and learn programs where people can be educated on, on things like this? Um, all of this wonderful information that you have do you approach the HR departments and, you know, let them know that this is a, a resource that will not only help them, uh, the caregiver, but also keep the valuable people in the workplace? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're right. It's HR, it's human resources professionals who I do typically approach first and either participate in an ERG, an employee resource group where they'll have a lunch and learn, or right now everything is virtual to do a Zoom. It's basically caregiver support group conversations. But an interesting thing is that human resource professionals will also, well, excuse me, often defer and say, well, we have an EAP, an employee assistance program. And so they'll say, you know, thank you. Thank you very much for this information, but we already have this covered. So, which is fine. I, I encourage uh, people to use their EAP benefit. I think it's wonderful. And, that, and that's usually there for one-on-one -on -one coaching and counseling. But one of the things that I, that I like to say is that's a quick fix. It doesn't always mean just go to this resource or go to this website or use this referral service. It's about the culture. Kind of the tone that Mike was talking about earlier, the how are you? 
that's that means so much more than being able to say, oh, and you have this benefit, you can call 1-800, you know, dial a friend. It's the culture within the organization that says it's okay to come to work and show who you who you are. Did I say that? Did that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> there. But yeah, that's the message I try to give when I call human resources is is it's more, it's definitely easier to say, go to your EAP, but really it's a bigger conversation that, that needs to be had. And I think it, it needs to be had, not just me, the employee caregiver, having out there in the EAP program uh, to, to some support group out there, but it's also the knowledge of your peers. Yes. And, and being in that group environment and understanding the team understanding, not just that one-on-one, -on -one, but the team understanding is what's going to make it so much more beneficial to the care caregiver, but also the team. Yeah. Your colleagues can make or break your happy day for sure. And that's another one of the little practical tips I like to share is, you know, ha have some awareness within the team and have a backup buddy too. So that if you miss a meeting, you've got someone who took notes for you or could represent what your project is or having that support within the team. Mike, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's, that's the day to day. That's the real life, you know, day in the life. So that's exactly it. Now, as somebody who's working within a corporation and all of a sudden I'm hit with this and I haven't seen support being offered, mm. is it? Beneficial. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say, will I be received well by HR when I go in and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. How can we work together to make sure that I'm able to do my job and take care of the person that I need to take care of? Well, hopefully, yes, you will be received well, because I like to believe human resource professionals are, in fact, that professional and good at their jobs. So not only will they defer you to their corporate programs and benefits and EAP offerings. Um, they might even have a digital platform right now. There's services out there that curate all the different resources that, that might be available, whether it's transportation services or legal help. Uh, so hopefully you'll get pointed to those things. Um, and, and hopefully, again, thanks to the pandemic, right? Silver lining here, people are more um, there's a greater expectation that this is this is okay to have these conversations now. The stigma, I think, is is a little lessened because people realize we're all in this together. I sound like such a cliche, but it's the reality that we're in now. It's it's that we're all facing this together. You know, that women are leaving the workforce, and unless we have these supports, it's it's just not going to be good for any of us. Well, thank you so much for pointing out the silver lining and corporates are corporations uh, and supervisors are understanding better than they ever had before that work can be done at home. Yes, for sure. Wow. That was, um, you know, brought, brought back some memories. I've been retired for a little over four years, but it certainly brought back some memories for me with, um, first off, dealing with my supervisor at the time, who was absolutely wonderful. And me having those folks um, as, as direct reports to me and working with them and having that team that was, it, it was an amazing team and it brought back some memories. So thank you, Sarah Beth, for that. That was um, a little trip down memory lane for me. Although I don't miss it and I'm not going back to work. That's for darn sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think we shared a, a huge amount of information for our listeners yes. who are trying to balance their work life and their home life and their caregiving life and, you know, those in the sandwich generation. Um, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you. So um, your takeaways. Well, I, I love the expression um, being on the hairy edge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know. I definitely understand what that means. And I'm sure that people who are, are dealing with, you know, having a job to support your family and caring for somebody with dementia or some other special need um, can recognize that also. I, um, I liked her comment about um, she had a, about as much depth as a Dixie cup. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. I'm glad I didn't have coffee in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the most hopeful things that she shared with us is that people are looking for solutions now. And the corporate executives are and HR are open to talk to people who are having uh, challenges on, you know, continuing to keep their jobs and do the best that they can while taking care of someone at home. My final thought was her comment about uh, caregiving is like the ocean tide, right? The tide comes in, you get knocked down, and you, you kind of get up, and here comes another wave uh, and, and knocks you down again, and you just got to keep getting back up. Um, I, I like that analogy. That was kind of an interesting analogy. Well, I definitely felt those waves. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes, Every indeed. time I thought I had something handled, I got knocked down again. But this has been a wonderful, informative episode. You can find more information about Sarah Beth on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes or the Roger That Facebook page and post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. If you would like your identity to remain private, you can direct message your question on Facebook and we will answer. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that, dot show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcast is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. 